Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, it's good to see you guys. Are we awake out there? Oh my goodness gracious. This is, this is going to be a rough service. Uh, like John said, uh, for those of you who, who don't know me, uh, my name is Kevin Pregel. I'm the minister to children here at the Antioch campus. I'm excited to be with you uh, to bring you a message from God's word. Uh, we're continuing our series on faithfulness found in 2 Timothy. So if you have your copies of God's word, please open to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. This passage that we're going to talk about this morning deals with living out your faithfulness, uh, living your life faithful in light of the gospel. And Paul's going to give us two charges. We're going to see two charges that he's going to give Timothy, and he's going to sandwich these charges in between the reason for his charges. And as I was preparing for this message, I started to think about the topic of faithfulness, and it's a word that we use, that we've adopted into our vocabulary without even thinking about it. Uh, but what does it look like to be faithful? How do we know if we're being faithful? And if we want to be faithful, what does that look like? And for some of you, faithfulness is something that you're familiar with, right? A lot of you are really faithful to your sports teams. And maybe your football team lost a big game yesterday <laughs> and your faithfulness is getting tested right? We're faithful to our jobs and we're faithful to cars and, and, and all these things that, you know, there, there's value in that. But for me, the, the stakes are never higher for faithfulness than over which chicken sandwich you prefer, <laughs> right? Like there is, there is not a universe that exists where Popeye's is better than Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I just, I don't understand it. But in all seriousness, what does faithfulness look like for us when it has to do with our calling as Christians? So if you would, please take a look at verse 1. In verse 1, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. And so verse 1 is our driving force. Verse 1 is what propels everything that we're going to talk about this morning. And Paul ties this charge that he's giving Timothy and, and really that he's given us with the presence of God and with the role of Jesus Christ. And so really when we hear this, we should stop and we should listen because this is a weighty thing that Paul's given us. He ties this to the presence of God and, and to Jesus as the judge. And right before I moved to Kansas City, when I was still in Mobile, I won the lottery and I got selected for jury duty which was totally awesome. And then I double won the lottery when I got selected for grand jury, which was even more awesome. Uh, and one of the things, it was odd at first, but it, it really did, it became habit uh, after a, a while, is that when the judge comes into the room, right, what's the thing that we do? We stand, right? And, and why do we do that? We do that because we're in the presence of someone with authority and we're in the presence of someone who's prestigious. And the way that we, the people in the courtroom acted, our actions and the way that we portrayed ourselves mattered. And so how much more when, when it has to do with a human judge 
How much more can we apply this to the God of the universe and the one who's going to judge the living and the dead? And so Jesus is coming back and he's going to judge the living and the dead. So Jesus, he's going to sort out the believers from the non-believers. He's going to judge the non-believers for their lack of faith. And he's going to judge believers for how they live. Now, it's true that if, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you, if you have a true and genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, you are forgiven and you are accepted and you are redeemed and you are made new and your eternal destiny is sealed, right? But that doesn't mean that we get a pass for our actions. That means that the way that we live here on earth matters. And this has tremendous implications for believers the, way, the, the things that we do here on earth, they matter, okay? So Paul's going to give us two charges. His charge is given in the presence of God and because of the role of Jesus Christ. Take a look at verse 2. He says, preach the word, be ready in and out of season, Re reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So the first charge that Paul gives to Timothy is he's going to give us a public charge. He's going to give us a public charge. Those who are called by Christ, those who are redeemed, those who are made new in Christ are given a charge. And that charge is simple. He starts it out with verse two. He says, preach the word. That means that if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're charged with preaching the word. Now you may hear the word preach and you may think, I'm not going to go stand up in front of a church on Sunday morning and give a sermon. And you're not incorrect in your interpretation of that word. But this, this word is so much more than that. This word is used for every form of sharing. And, and maybe your translation says something like um, proclaim or it says share or it says tell. And regardless of how it's translated, that if you profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it is your job to share the word of God. It is your job to share the gospel. We are commanded to share. We're, com we're commanded to proclaim at our jobs and at soccer practice and in our homes and on the streets and with our neighbors and at the grocery store and everywhere in between. So if you are a faithful follower of Jesus, it is your job to share and proclaim the word of God. But the command to preach is, is just as important as what we share, what we preach. Paul tells Timothy to share the word, so he's limiting what we're sharing to the word of God, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the message that we should be telling to people is not a self-help message. The message that we share with people is not a try harder, it's not a do better the message that we share with people should be rooted in a resurrected Savior. And if we're not sharing that, then you need to stop. You need to find something better to share. And this command to preach the word is not only central to our passage here. It's central to the New Testament. It's central to Scripture. Right, right before Jesus ascended into heaven, the command that he gave his disciples was... Go and tell. Go and teach the people what I taught you. Go and tell people about me. The book of Acts is, is filled with so many examples 
of God's people going and telling. So what should we do about this? How, how should we share the word? And, and Paul does this frequently where he'll give a command and then he'll modify that command with, with phrases and words after that. So take a look at verse 2 again. He says, be ready in and out of season. And what he's getting at here is that we should share the word constantly. We should share the word consistently. And he uses this word, uh, be ready. And, and this should bring to mind images of soldiers who were preparing themselves mentally and physically before the time of war, right? They, they're, they're constantly getting ready to go to battle. They're sharpening their weapons. It's with them at all times. They, they, when they go to bed at night, right, their weapon and their armor is, is there next to their bed. And at a moment's notice, they throw it on and they hit the battlefield. Be ready in and out of season. We don't, there is no off season when it comes to sharing the gospel. We don't get a pass because of our life circumstance. So how many of you feel like you're prepared to share the gospel at all times? How many of you treat this like your weapon and it's with you all the time and you're constantly being prepared by it or is this just a prop? Is this something that sits next on your nightstand Monday through Saturday? Is this something that you use to let people know that you're pretty religious? So he's saying in and out of season, share the gospel. And then secondly, take a look again at verse 2, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And what he's getting at, these are words that should convey authority and purpose. Right? When we share the word of God, there's purpose behind it. There should be authority behind it, right? When I teach the Bible to your children or when I stand up here and I, and I give you a message from God's word, I don't do it on my authority. I do it on the authority of God. So when we share and when we proclaim, we do it authoritatively. Just like Derek shared last week, if we truly believe that the Bible is God-breathed, and it's profitable for teaching reproof, correction, and training, then we need to act like it. Either this book is an authority in your life or it's not. There is no in-between. And then finally, at the end of verse 2, he says, with complete patience and teaching. So when we share the word of God, we should do it with endurance. Sharing the gospel, being a minister to, to lost people is not... A sprint. It's a marathon, right? How many of you guys have ever had an opportunity when a lost person, when, when someone that you've been praying for comes up to you and they ask you a spiritual question, they ask you a question about the Bible or they ask you a question about theology, right? And you get so excited and you're like, this is it. This is the moment I've been praying for, right? And you're ready to come from the top rope, right? And you pull out your dissertation and you hit them with it for 35 minutes. And then at the end of the conversation, they're like, okay, cool. <laughs> and you just, you're deflated and you're like, did I mess up? Did I screw up? Like, like I totally missed my opportunity. Sharing our faith, being a minister to people. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's done with endurance and it's done with patience. And one of the biggest lessons that I learned away from Blue Valley in my, in my time away from Blue Valley 
was that there is a way to share the truth in which we can also do it lovingly. We don't have to compromise on truth when we, or we don't have to compromise um, lovingly when we share the truth and we don't have to compromise on truth to be loving. So we share the word patiently and we share the word with endurance. And now verses three and four, Paul's going to give us the reason why we share the word. He says, take a look at verse three and four. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And we share the word. We are, we are publicly charged to proclaim the word of God because people don't want to hear it. I don't know if you've noticed, I don't know if you've experienced it yourself, but the world is growing increasingly hostile towards Christianity, towards the church, towards the Bible, right? Because we live in a world of personal truths, subjective reality, and people who desire only words that fit their worldview, right? Have you guys ever noticed that, that when you confront someone with truth, they have a tendency to shy away from it, right? And he says, for the time is coming, that time came in Paul's time, so how much more so is it here with us when they will not endure sound teaching? And this sound, is a, another word for it, is healthy. And so when you, when you see those TV preachers, right, and they rent out stadiums and arenas to proclaim their message, right, they tickle the people's ears with words that they wanna hear, we shouldn't look at that in envy and think, man, it, it would be so awesome to get them. And like, it would be cool, but the health of a church is not determined by its size. It's determined by the doctrine that's proclaimed in the church. And people run away from that. People, people don't like truth. They, they like to surround themselves with people who think and believe like they do. They like it when their ears are tickled. And we have, we have a challenge in front of us because the gospel is offensive. And scripture demands and confronts and points at you and says, you need Jesus. And people have a tendency to enclose themselves in echo chambers and surround themselves with people who think and believe like they do. So it sounds like a losing battle, doesn't it? It sounds like we're fighting a battle that can't be won. We're faced with a task to go to people who won't listen to us, to proclaim a message that they won't care about. It seems kind of hopeless, doesn't it? But it's not because Paul gives a second charge. So this is the second charge that he's going to give Timothy. And he's, he's kind of saying, hey, people run away from truth. Here's what you can do about it. Here's your responsibility because people don't like truth. So the faithful are given a personal charge. Faithful are given a personal charge. And this is the second charge given to believers. And he starts this out in verse five, and he says, but as for you, or but you, and, and what he's saying is, hey, hey, people run away from truth, but here's what you do. Here's what you're tasked with. And he gives four imperatives that should guide our personal life. He says, be sober-minded, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. 
This, this, is what, this is our response to people who run away from truth. We should be alert and ready. And what he's getting at with this sober-minded thing is he, he's saying stop caring about things that don't matter. Right? We have a tendency that when we're living life, we get pulled to the side. We go to the left and we go to the right. Right? And we get caught up in worldly things that really don't matter. Like sports and politics and, and all that stuff that can really distract you, right? And we're given a task to proclaim the gospel, and that's what we should be focused on. And he says it's going to be hard. Being in ministry is hard. It's by nature difficult. Endure the difficult times. Share your faith and minister to people. Be a minister to people. So when we're faced with this hostility and resentment, when we're faced with people who don't want to listen to what we say, the last thing that we should be doing is trying to police the world of their sin. The last thing we should be doing is taking non-Christians and trying to smooth out the edges and make them look and behave like Christians. What we should be doing is giving them a life-changing message, a message that will renew their heart. When you bring your child to big kids, Right? The last thing that I'm going to try to do is try to make them look and behave like a Christian. That's not what I'm about. My job is to give them the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do its work. Ministry is difficult. Ministry by nature is difficult. I was talking with Jonathan Locke, who is our minister to adults here on, on the Antioch campus a few weeks ago. And he was telling me about this guy that he used to know, this farmer, who uh, every single year before uh, the crop season, he would take out a $10 million loan, which, I mean, even just thinking about it gives me anxiety, right? And he would take out a $10 million loan, and he would use that to buy his, uh, his seed and all his supplies and everything that he would need. I'm not, I'm not a farmer. Um, I, don't, I don't know um, all, the, all the technical terms, but they, he buys all that stuff with it, right? And he prepares the soil and he plants the seeds and, and all that. Can you imagine what it would be like, right? A month after you take out a $10 million loan, you walk out of your house, you put all that work into it. You walk out of your house one morning and you look at what you created and you're like, I made a patch of dirt, right? Like the, the discouragement, the deflating feeling of I spent $10 million on this, right? And, and, and he knew that, that at the end of the season, he would make way more than $10 million. But sometimes ministry feels like this. We put in the time and we put in the effort and we relocate our family and we pray for people and we invite them to events and we say, hey, we, my church has got this really cool thing. You should totally come check it out. Right? And you host Bible studies and, and, and you, you try to encourage them and you're there for them the whole time. And when we don't get through, it's kind of like thinking, man, I spent all this time and energy and effort on a patch of dirt. And it's like this when we don't see instant results. Right? It's like this when we feel like we're wasting our time. But just like the farmer knows that eventually the harvest is coming. We know because the Bible tells us the harvest is coming. Souls are going to be saved. We're going to reap the benefits of either our hard work or someone else's hard work. And it's not up to us to determine whether or not this task is doing based on results. 
We should do it because we're called to it. We should do it because we're commanded to preach the word. Ministry is hard, but it's our call, and we should be obedient to it. So I want to give you guys two points of application. Two points of application on on how do we live this out? How do I make sure that I'm not like the people who depart from the truth? How do I make sure that I'm one of the people who are faithful to my calling? The first one is hold fast to the truth. Hold fast to the truth. And this truth is spelled with a little t, truth. And that's not to imply that this is somehow less truthful than a big T truth. But the truth that we should be holding on to is the Bible. This should be our authority. This should be the central part of everything that we do daily. Right? The Bible should be the lens through which we look through. We should read and we should pray and we should sing and we should copy the Bible every chance that we get. We should treat the Bible like it describes itself. It calls itself a guide and a rock and the word of God and our foundation. So if this isn't your foundation, if this isn't your authority, if this isn't your rock and your guide and, and your light, then what is? Because there is no in-between. Either this book is the authority in your life or it's not. I had a professor in seminary who, um, who I love to death, but, but he, he did this thing that, that gave you anxiety just walking into the class where he would present a topic. So say, say the topic was baptism. And what he would do is he'd say, hey, what do you think about baptism? And, and, you would, and you would say, oh, you know, th- this is what I think it is and this is what it represents. And he was, okay, where do you get that from? Okay, tell me more. Okay, what's, what's your scripture for that? And, and, he would, and he would press and he would press and he would press until you just felt like so helpless, right? And, and the reason he did that, he, he didn't do that to be a jerk because he wasn't, but he, what he wanted to make sure is that we were getting our theology and our beliefs and we were being faithful to the Bible, right? He, he didn't want us to get our theology from Sunday school sound bites and podcasts and magazines. And, and he didn't want us to go to Mardell and, and raid the theology section, which isn't a bad thing necessarily, but he wanted, he wanted scripture to be the authority in our life. And he would press until you either A, gave him some verses that back what you said, or B, admitted that you didn't really know your Bible. So we should be digging into scripture. We should let scripture speak for itself. Let this be your guide. And then second, here's your second point of application. Hold fast to the truth. This is the capital D truth. And this comes from John 14, 6. And Jesus said that he was the truth. And one of the best ways to make sure that we're holding on and we're not departing from the faith and we're not fleeing to things that are going to tickle our ears is by holding on to Jesus, by learning who Jesus is and what he cared about and the things that he did and the people that he ministered to one of the biggest uh, pieces of insight that I got was from, uh, from Derek Lynch years ago who told me that one of the best ways to find out uh, what someone really believed, when, you, when you're confronted with someone who believes differently than you do, is to ask them what they believe about Jesus, right? Because a lot of these people who pretend to be Christians they use words like God and heaven and Father and Scripture, and they'll sprinkle it into conversation, and you're thinking, yeah, 
Like, I believe in God the Father. I believe in heaven. I, I hold to scripture, right? But if you, if you really want to get to the heart of what someone believes, ask them what they believe about Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Find out who he is. Live with Jesus daily. Church, this is a really, really simple passage, but I don't want the simplicity of it to get in the way of how practical it is. We are commanded to share the word of God with people. That's, that's our task. That's our duty. Uh, and I want to close with something personal uh, this morning. The man who, who led me to Christ, his name was Nate Young, and he was the campus pastor at the Baptist Student Union at the University of Alabama. And if it weren't for Nate Young, I would not be here this morning. If it weren't for Nate Young being obedient and stepping out in faith and realizing the call on his life and acting on that call, I wouldn't be here today. I have no idea where I'd be, maybe in jail or dead or something. Um, I don't really know, but who among you needs to hear the word of God? Who here in this room needs to be obedient to the calling on their life and share their faith? Now this letter, this letter to Timothy was written um, to a young pastor and Timothy's relationship with Jesus Christ was already assumed. And we, we can be faithful to this stuff. We, we can invite people to church and we can read our Bible and, and we can do all this stuff that, that I talked about. But if there's no relationship with Jesus Christ, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. And we can only have a right relationship because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if that's you today, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, if you're confused, um, if, if you have questions, right, I, I would invite you to um, respond. We're going to have men up here at the front. I'll be up here at the front. Um, I would invite you to, to come and talk to someone if, if you have questions um, or if you realize, hey, this church is pretty cool and, and I want to make it my church home. I want to make it my church family. I, I invite you to do that. So uh, I'm going to close us in prayer. I'm going to invite uh, John and I'm going to invite um, our, our elders uh, to take their places as I pray. Uh, so church, would you join me in prayer?